Let's go ahead and, and, and get into the word Luke chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading verse 26. And this story uh, in Luke is whenever the Pharisees were asking uh, Jesus about when the kingdom of God would come. And this was his reply, Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it also it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they brought, bought, they sowed, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is awesome and powerful and true. Lord, reveal greater truth and, and, and revelation and greater uh, grace and anointing uh, and strength to apply what we read tonight to every one uh, day of our lives, every one of us in here, Lord. Uh, we cancel every plan of the enemy and just ask that you would have your way. Holy Spirit, help me to teach this word. I cannot do this on my own, nor do I want to. I need your help, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the end of that, Jesus said, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Well, some of you in here might remember what happened to Lot's wife. But if you don't know what happened to him, we're going to read about that here in a minute. I'm going to set this up, and, and if you, you can flip over now to Genesis 19. You know, God was about to destroy the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because it was so wicked. But God wanted to spare Lot and his family for Abraham's sake. Abraham was praying and begging the Lord, saying, hey, listen, you know, you're going to destroy both these cities. What if there, and he started, you know, at a number like 50 or say 100. What if there are this many righteous people? Are you still going to destroy it? No, if there's 100 people, I'm not going to destroy Start. What if there's only 60? No, if there's 60, I'm not. What if there's only 30? No, and he got all the way down to 10. He said, well, what if there's only 10 righteous people? He said, if there's only 10 righteous people, I will spare the cities for the sake of those. So Abraham was interceding uh, with this. And then finally, the Lord made his decision. And we'll pick the story up in Genesis 19, verses 12 and 26, because he only found a few righteous people in the city. Genesis 19, verse 12 says, Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place. Your son-in-law, daughters, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, Get out right now or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized his hand in the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed him to safety outside of the city, for the Lord was merciful. <clears throat> when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life and you have shown great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? 
Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry. Escape to it or I can do nothing until you arrive there. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all of the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. You know, tonight we have, again, as I said earlier, some people getting baptized to show that they have surrendered their lives to Christ and that they are fully committed to Christ. So I want to encourage all of you, if you're getting baptized tonight, or any other born-again believer in here, I want to encourage you, don't look back. Don't look back. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have committed, I encourage you not to look back. Just as the angel encouraged Lot and, 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 and his wife and his daughters not to look back, which they were the only four that were spared in the whole city. He said, don't look back. And I want to encourage you. Why am I saying that? Well, we can learn a few things from this story. Let's look at it. Number one, we need to remember the Lord's mercy in saving us first and foremost. If you are saved or you are born again, we must remember the Lord's mercy in this. Genesis 19.16, look at it again. When Lot still hesitated, I love this. The angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. I love that. Even whenever Lot was hesitating, he grabbed their hands and snatched them out from destruction. This is a great picture, y'all. The Lord did the same thing for us. He pulled us out of the world and future damnation into safety when he saved us through his son, Jesus. This is encouraging tonight. If you are saved, if you are born again, I, I, I don't know, sometimes we maybe take our salvation for granted and, and what we have been saved from. And the, the, the picture in here, this whole story is a great picture. You know, for some of you, this maybe just happened recently, maybe over the weekend at the Freedom Weekend. You may be just giving your life to Christ. For some of you, it, it, it may have been, you may have been saved for a long time. Maybe it's been a long time. And for some of us that have been saved for a long time, some of us, that's where we can become the most complacent and forget what we've been saved from. Also, the life that we lived and also we'll talk about, but what, what, what will come for those of us that are not saved. We must never take our salvation for granted or forget, again, what we're saved from, which the Bible makes it clear. Jesus tells us, which is a fiery hell. Genesis 19.24 is a great picture. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Did you know that? If you look through the Gospels and you studied, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Some people nowadays, even Christians, even some pastors say that heaven is really not, a, I mean, hell is not a real place. That is a figurative place. But Jesus makes it very clear that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth where the, the, the fire never goes out and the worm is never quenched. Y'all, it's a real place that if we've been born again, we have been saved from. Now, there might be some people sitting here tonight. I know we might have some guests. You might think, man, how would a, can a loving God send people to hell? Well, the truth is God doesn't send anybody to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. Matter of fact, just recently this year, I love the way I heard a man put it. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Matter of fact, he has done everything in his, he possibly could to keep us, to keep everybody out of hell through his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. I love what he said. He said, you know what? If you go to hell, you have to step over Jesus to get there. So God doesn't send anybody there. Matter of fact, he's done everything in his power to save us. From a devil's hell. Amen? But that's what he saved us from. 
We got to remember that, that, hey, we need to remember the Lord was merciful to us. It's his mercy, his kindness that leads us to repentance. His mercies are brand new every morning. He's, he's kind, he's loving. And remember, Lot was, like a lot of us, hard-headed in, in French, tête de. He was like, man, yeah, but, yeah, but, and he finally just grabbed him. You know, man, I'm, I'm, for years, I was tête de. I was hard-headed and so glad that the Lord was merciful to me. All the years I heard the gospel, knew the truth, knew I was going to hell and I died. And it was years before I finally came down here and surrendered my life. How many of y'all are thankful for the Lord's mercy? We must always remember that. Number two, we must, like, like they did, we must run from the old way of living. We must run, like not just, you know, we, we look at, it, we must run away from the old way of, that we used to live. Genesis 19, 17, it says, when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives. This wasn't a nice stroll through the park on a Sunday morning. He said, run for your lives. We should run from sin like our life depends on it. You know why? Because it does. We must run from sin like our life depends on it because it does. If we get caught in the snare of sin, we can be right back in the place we were. Now listen, I get it. All of us do sin. We all stumble. We all fall short of the glory of God. I'm talking about willful, mindful, premeditated, purpose sin that we know God has saved us from, point one. To, to continue in that, we must run from that, that old lifestyle. I shared this with a guy Saturday uh, in the purity session. I love the scripture, 2 Timothy 2.22. It says this, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Y'all, we must run from our old sinful lifestyle. Don't play, run from sin. Don't play around with it. You know, it, it, you know, if you've been here a long time, you've probably heard me use this this illustration before. Hopefully, it's been a while since I used it. But I always, often, when I, I read the scripture about running from, you know, youthful us running from sin, like this picture that we get in Genesis, I often think about. You ever seen these guys on TV that are like lion tamers, or like they work in a circus and they work with lions and and tigers? Um, what was the two guys, uh, Siegfried and Roy? Was that the two? Uh, magicians that had the white tigers. Remember that? Well, a few years back, if you remember, one of those tigers they had been working with for years turned on him and attacked him. And when they interviewed him, it's interesting because they interviewed him and he was dumbfounded. And he was like, man, I cannot believe this, that this tiger would do this. I've been knowing him for years and I've, I've been, you know, we've been close. I raised him as a cub and, and, and whatnot. And in the, in my mind, I'm thinking, dude, but it's still a tiger. These things were not meant to be our pets. These are, I don't know how big, you know, how many pound animals, lions and tigers, and they turn around and attack them. Or even better, you ever see these couillons that open up the alligator's head and put their heads in them? You ever seen those guys? I remember watching one one time, and the guy put his head in, and what it was was an alligator's mouth. It's triggered by, like, on, you know, the bottom of its mouth or its tongue. And what happened was they showed it, and suddenly the alligator just snapped on the guy's head. And what happened was he had he had wiped one side of his sweat and he didn't wipe the other side, put his head in the alligator, and one drop of sweat fell on the alligator and it chomped right on his head. Now he survived, but again, they were like, oh my gosh, I'm like, why are you putting your head in an alligator's mouth? Like, I, I don't, would anybody else do that in here? I mean, that, to me, it's like, that's literally hard-headed in more than one way. Like, thankfully his head was hard. It probably saved his life. But, you know, people... You know, we're laughing at that, and we're like, that's ridiculous. I, don't see how I would never play with a tiger lion, never put my head in the mouth of an alligator. But you know what? People do that with sin. 
they play around with sin. And then whenever it turns around and begins to destroy their life, they're like, man, I don't know what's happening. Well, you're, you're petting sin like it's, it's something that you can pet and tame. Sin will never be tamed. That's why the Bible tells us to run from sin. That's why the angel said run from here because destruction was coming. And sin will always lead us into destruction. No matter what, it will turn on you one day, just like those animals turn on those people eventually. You know, remember, we're not running aimlessly. If we're running from something, we must be running to something. We don't want to just run aimlessly, right? It says to pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, that we must pursue that. Also, enjoy relationships with those that call upon the Lord with a pure heart. And, you know, one reason that's what the body in Christ is so, uh, why it's so important to be in the body of Christ. You have other people, hey, man, we're running from sin, this old life, this old state that we used to live in. We're running away from that. But, hey, we're running towards something. We're running towards Jesus. We're running towards success and the goal of heaven with other people that are like-minded, right? It's always easier to do it. That's why a lot of people have workout partners, right? Because it's it's easier. I'm not saying easy. It's easier if you have somebody to work out with you, right? Sometimes even that is just like, man, I ain't going this morning, okay? It's just like partner or not. But it, it does make it easier if you know you have somebody with you. Same is true in our journey with the Lord. That's why we have life groups. Break it down even further. We have life groups here, which is small groups of, 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 of a smaller group setting, you know, that, that you can get in relationship with people and they can encourage you and walk with you, disciple you. If you're not in a life group, I encourage you, go to our website, go to our app, and you can check out all the different life groups we have to offer. Because when we run from sin, we got to pursue the Lord, and it's always better to do it with somebody else that's like-minded. Amen? So that's number two. Number three, this, is, it, this point is actually the name of the title of the message. But number three, don't look back. Don't look back. And this is really the crux of the message. Genesis 19 and 17 in the second part says, And when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ought to run for your lives and don't look back. Now, we're going to get a little bit deeper in this because you remember, we started this message with Jesus saying that, right? Earlier in Luke 17, 31. He says it another way in Luke 9 and verses 57. Look what he says through 62. And as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then, what? Looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So you see, again, an Old Testament story, but Jesus makes it clear in the New Testament. Whenever we get give our lives to Christ, he said, we shouldn't look back. But we're going to look at this story a little bit, a little bit closer because those two guys, there's some deeper meaning in that. If you want to pursue Jesus, you can't look back at what you're leaving behind. If you want to pursue Jesus, you remember we're running from sin and running towards Jesus. You can't look back at what you're leaving behind. I mean, when I first uh, came into ministry, I dealt with this being a young, I mean, young in the Lord, young, young, uh, uh, you know, youth pastor. And I remember there was days where I was so like, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I was inadequate. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, comparing myself to these other youth pastors that I felt like were blowing it up. And I remember thinking, man, it would just be easier if I can just go back painting 
Like I know how to paint. I know how to, I was, I was a foreman for a paint contract. I know how to run jobs on big commercial, uh, you know, buildings like this building we built. We used to paint, you know, buildings like that. I was like, man, even I could, I could run jobs for a paint crew. It would, that would be easier if I can just do that and just paint and literally physically paint. I still enjoy painting. And I was like, that'd be a lot easier. And what was I doing? I was looking back and I'd read the scripture and, 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 and the Lord would say, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? The word, when Jesus said not fit, it means you're out of place. It means you're out of place. If you're in the kingdom and you're serving God and you're looking back, you're out of place. You're not, you don't, you're not fit for it. You're not, you're not, you're not going to make it is another thing he's saying. You're not going to make it. Think about how successful are you if you're driving a car down the road or riding a bike or just walking for that matter and you're looking behind you. That's not going to turn out too good, will it? Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. If you got your hand to the plow and he was, you know, back then, they literally agriculture, they would plow with, with, you know, a mule or an ox and an old school plow. You're looking back. Those lines are going to be crooked. You're not going to get the job done like you need to get it done. Right. So he says, don't look back. What not looking back means is to, to don't look back. It means not loving the present, this present world to be occupied with the old life that we used to live before Christ. You know, Pastor Todd once said this, it's the ordinary things in life that can steal our affection away from the Lord. And Satan uses this, uses the influences of this world to steal our hearts away from the Lord. You see, it might not be sin that's luring us that we're looking back at. It might be the lure of money, of status, of material things, maybe a relationship, etc., that can steal our hearts away. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with money. Don't, don't, a lot of people quote, misquote that scripture and say, man, money's the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. We all have to make money. We all have bills to pay. We all have, you know, food to eat and clothes to wear. So you have to, but the love of money, the pursuit of money, making money your God over Jesus or a certain status. And there's nothing wrong with climbing up the ladder of success, having a, a good, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you're pursuing, like for me, another example for the whole painting thing, I mean, I started out as like, didn't know nothing about painting construction. I started out as a helper, sanding and putting and caulking, worked my way up through the company, became a foreman for, for one of the biggest paint contractors here in town. And right before I got offered the position here, my boss at the time offered me part in into the business, like becoming partners with him. And he said, man, eventually he wanted to move back home. And he said, man, eventually you could buy me out. And so there was this lore of not only like, man, I could be a, a business owner. I could, I'm, and I'm thinking I can make a lot more money probably, you know, and just the lore of that status as a business owner or even a partner than possibly a business owner. I knew I'd be making more money. There was a lore to that. And then again, then I, 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 I knew God was calling me to ministry. Pastor Todd offered me the position, started working here. And when things got tough, I was like, man, maybe I can just go back. So it might not be sin. It, it could be a relationship. A relationship you was in, you got saved, that person this, and you know they're not a Christian, but you still love that person. And you want to be with them. The Lord will go back and turn away from Jesus. Listen, he says, don't look back no matter what it is. Amen. I'm just giving you examples. No matter what it is, don't look back. Let's look at these two guys, for example. The two guys that wanted to follow Jesus on the surface is like they both said, yeah, sure, Jesus, I'll follow you. But there are some stipulations. See, the first guy that agreed said, let me go bury my father. But you got to realize that in Jewish culture, whatever son buried the father would typically get a double portion of the inheritance. So when that guy was saying, hey, let me go bury my father first, he's like, man, I want to cash in before I go follow Jesus. Let me let me get me a little. Basically, what he was saying was, let me get me a backup plan here. Let me have a safety net. I'm going to come follow you, Jesus, but let me make sure I'm set financially first, then I'm going to come. That's what he was saying. 
Second guy, he said, hey, let me go, let me go tell all my family goodbye first. Well, he's probably wanted to go have a going away party so, you know, he can get a few gifts and some going away. Like, hey, let me pad your pockets before you go. You got to understand the culture and the setting they were saying it. So that's why Jesus said, hey, no, 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 no. If you want to follow me, come and follow me now. Don't look back at what you can get before you can come here. Come and follow me now. It's that lure sometimes of wealth and whatnot. Maybe it's not that. Listen, the bottom line, it might not be wealth. It might not be status. It might not be a relationship. It might not be all that. But you know what? A lot of times people want to follow Jesus on their own terms. Let that not be you and me, church. See, Jesus is Lord. He's not a bailout plan. He's Lord. He's not a bailout plan. When we say Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, you've probably heard me say this numerous times too. That word Lord in the Greek means supreme master. That's what it means. Supreme master, meaning like you are my master over all. You are my Lord. What you say goes. What you say to do, Lord, what it says in your word, I'm going to listen to. He's not a bailout plan. He's not a, hey, I'm going to try this Christianity thing. It's Lord Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender to you. Y'all still tracking with me? Listen, if you have decided to follow him or have been for a while, I want to encourage you again, don't look back. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I'm reading the the Living Bible. In Philippians 3.13, Paul says this, I am still not all that I should be. He's like saying, look, I know I'm not perfect. I hadn't arrived. But I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul said, man, listen, I'm not looking back. And if you look at the context of that and everything Paul said, Paul had status. He was studying. He was a Pharisee. He was studying some theologians say to be the next high priest. Like this guy had wealth. He had status. He had knowledge. He was a smart guy. Paul said, I'm forgetting all that. And I'm focusing on this one thing. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to forget what lies behind. I'm not looking back. I'm pressing on. I want to encourage you. Don't look back. And then the fourth and final thing, don't stop anywhere in the valley. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Genesis 19, 17, it says, and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley, he told him. The valley represents hard times, maybe loneliness, hurt, maybe persecution, trials and tribulations you're going to. That's the valley. Listen, don't, don't get bogged down in the valley. These things will come, especially right after getting saved. If you've just given your life to Christ or maybe just recommitted, listen, there's been people that give, give a false gospel. I said, if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to go well. All the time. Forever. The rest of your life. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? I mean, things should get better, yes, but it ain't going to be perfect, right? You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have those tough things. So listen, we're going to have valleys, but our journey, just like any landscape, is a series of valleys and mountains, right? You got hills and valleys, you got mountaintops, you got rivers, you got streams, you got oceans. It, it's, it's, you know, we're not, we're not, I love this. Look at Psalm 23, 4. Most of us know this Psalm, Psalm 23, uh, as we were at Cassie's grandmother's uh, funeral Sunday, uh, the priest read this, this, and I, and, and every time I hear it now, I always catch this. He says, even though I walk, look, that's, this is the key word in this verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. When you get back in, in your Bible, if you have one in your iPhone, that's the word I want you to underline and to highlight. Look at that. David knew this is just temporary. I'm going through the valley. I'm not, I'm not camping out in the valley. Amen? I'm not staying in the valley. The angel told him, don't stop anywhere in the valley. We're going to have valleys in life, but keep walking, right? 
Keep walking through him. That whole psalm, he says, is going to be close beside us. He'll be right there. His rod and staff will comfort us. We're only to go through the valley, not stop in it. And remember, in the valley, in the tough time, the angels are right there with them, representing God. The Lord is right there with us through every valley of life. So do not stop in the valley. Amen? So as I wrap it up, one of the first things we read this evening, again, was Luke 17, 32, when Jesus said, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Let's, let's look at that a little bit closer as, as we close. Genesis 19, 26, again, it says, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, this is very interesting. Why did wife, Lot's wife turn into a pillar of salt? Well, back then, the main income of Sodom and Gomorrah was salt. If you lived there, you was probably the way that you made your money. You made a living some kind of way through salt. So the reason she looked back was because she loved what she had back then. They probably had money. They probably were doing well. And so she looked back at what she was leaving. This is interesting. Let's go back to Luke 17, 33. Jesus said this. If you cling to your life, you would lose it. But if you let your life go, you will save it. Isn't that interesting? The connection of these two stories Lot's wife literally lost her life because she looked back. Because she, she was hanging on to her old life. She looked back one more time and she turned into a pillar of salt. Look what it says in Matthew 5.13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it useful again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. We are called salt, right? Jesus just said that. The distinctive trait of salt is its taste, right? We know that down here. In uh in Louisiana, right? We want to season our stuff with sometimes salt, pepper, sometimes with some camp dog Cajun seasoning, you know. So uh we know about we season it. The main thing is the taste. In order for Lot's wife to turn into a pillar, it had to be crystallized in salt, and this form has no taste. This is so interesting when you connect these dots. If we look back at our old life, the same thing happens to us, and we become ineffective as our witness for the Lord. We, in essence, maybe don't physically turn into a pillar of salt like Lot's wife. But when we keep looking back to the old life, to the world, we become ineffective. We lose our taste, our effectiveness. I said, are y'all tracking? Do y'all see that? Isn't that interesting how the Old Testament and New Testament connects? Remember the Old Testament stories, Paul says, are all illustrations or types or shadows of what was going to come in our life. And we see how it connects. You know, it's not always, again, the gross, terrible sins that keep us from penetrating our culture. It's being preoccupied with the old life. You don't have to be in sin. You just have to be distracted to be ineffective. That's good right there. That's a free one. You don't have to be in sin. You just got to be distracted, preoccupied with the old life. Looking back at what could have been, what I had. Think about it. The children of Israel did it the whole time too. They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves and they were complaining and wanted to go back to Egypt because of the food that they had. Oh man, we had all this food. We had, we had these onions and these leeks and, and all the, you know, and, and they were complaining, looking back. They wanted to literally go back into slavery. They forgot that the food was free because they wasn't. And we got to remember that too. Sometimes all the things we had back then we, that might have looked good and tasted good and felt good, we had all that stuff, but inside we were slaves and we were dying and we were in bondage. We have to remember that. Don't look back and get preoccupied. You know, the grass ain't always green on the other side, especially on the back side that we just came from. Things that, things that should be behind you are not 
because your mind is still there. And that's another thing. You don't have to actually be doing those things. Maybe those old sinful things you used to do. You don't even have to be doing them. Again, you're just thinking about them. You're just preoccupied with those things. But if it starts, if you let it meditate in your mind and you continue to think about it, you keep looking back in your mind, eventually you're going to get caught up in it. One of the greatest enemies of the kingdom is looking back, wishing we were somewhere else or doing something else. Wishing we were somewhere else or, or wishing we were doing something else. The best way to keep from looking back is to keep looking forward. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we also have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross despised the shame, and has sat down at God at the right hand of God's throne. So listen, don't look back and keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? Go ahead and stand up. Come on, let's remember the Lord's mercies, right? Come on, let's, let's run from the old lifestyle. Let's not stop anywhere in the valleys in, in that we have, and let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus. I love that scripture at the end. It says, for the jar that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame. And he sat down at God's right hand, at the right hand of God's throne. What was the jar that was set before him? It was us. It was me and you. He endured the cross because he had you and me in mind. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And I just, as I said, we talked about the beginning about you know, those of us, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, maybe you haven't been. Maybe you don't know if you're right with God. Again, heaven and hell are a real place. Some of us have been taught growing up that there's a holding place in between when you die. It, it, that's, that's not what the Bible says. Paul says that it's appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. When we breathe our lives, we either end up in heaven or in hell. And remember, God never intended. He doesn't send anyone to hell. We got to walk over the cross and of Jesus what he did to, to, to be able to get to hell. He wants everybody saved. The Bible says he wished that no one would perish, but that everyone would come to know him through faith in Jesus Christ, through repenting. So whatever head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you, do you do you know if you're right with God? If you like my mom asked me, if you would if you would die tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? I remember telling my mom, you know, I, well mom, I don't know. And she said, well, if you don't know, it probably means you're going to the wrong place. And I agree with that. Where would you go? The Bible says if we, in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We must believe in him. And that word believe means to trust like a parachute, like you would trust in a parachute and to save your life if you would jump out of an airplane. So whatever head bowed, again, every eye closed, please, if you don't mind, nobody looking around, just out of respect for others and out of reverence for the Lord. If you say, Brandon, man, I don't know if tonight was my last night. If I would spend eternity in heaven with God or in a fiery hell separated. He said, man, but I, I want to know. I want to be sure that I'm right with God tonight and I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of my sins. Nobody's looking around. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand and say, Brandon, that's me. That's me. I need to get right with the Lord tonight. Thank you, Lord. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand over here in the back. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? I see your hand over here. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Come on, we're going to pray here in a minute. I see your hand all the way in the back. Thank you, Lord. 
Okay, listen, like I said, it says in Romans, I just read it. If we believe in our heart, it means to trust in Jesus for your eternity and confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. So I'm going to just lead you in a simple prayer of confession and of repentance. And if you believe, it's not the prayer, it's your faith. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. You will be saved. Look, as a family, we're all going to pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Thank you for enduring the cross for me. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I've asked that you forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe in you. I trust you to save me in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Help me, Lord, to never look back, but only focus my eyes on you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give these a round of applause. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Amen. Hey, just quick, real quickly, before we walk outside, those of you that raised your hand, either for the first time or maybe you, you just recommitted, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer with me. There's a card in the pew right in front of you, and it says, I made a decision. Do me a favor, take about 30 seconds, fill that card out, and on your way out, you can either, you can drop it in the info center in the lobby. There's going to be somebody there waiting for you. Um, if you need a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. We'll give you some material to get you going. And then before we go out, one more scripture. Luke 3, 3 says this. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized. Why are we having baptism tonight? People should be baptized to show that they have turned to God to receive forgiveness of their sins. So listen, tonight, those of you who just raised your hand, if you just turn to God and, and you, he's forgiven you, you asked him for forgiveness, he forgave you. That's why we keep doing baptism. Amen. You can get baptized tonight. So look, we're going to bring these shirts outside. Pastor Rob's going to be out there with the clipboard. We'll take your name, your number, or maybe you're here and you said, man, I've been saved. I recently got saved, but I haven't been baptized. We're going to meet Pastor Todd out there in just a few minutes. Come talk to us. We want you to get baptized. I encourage everybody else to stay and then rejoice with those and celebrate with those and also stay because we're going to have some cookies and some coffee and some, some little treats for everybody tonight before they go. So stay with with us. Come on and celebrate and support everyone that's getting baptized. God bless y'all. See y'all out there.